I like looking at plans for woodworking. Yesterday, um, I printed off one that I, I thought, boy, I could, this would be a, a fun one to work on. The, um, uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a chest, but it's very customizable. You can, uh, you can make it with a lot of different looks. And I've been making them for my grandchildren. Okay, in all honesty, I got three out of eight, and it's been stalled there for several years. I got pieces cut for two more, and I have ideas for the other three. So that's what I got yesterday, the ideas for the other three. Um, and I, I, collect wood, <laughs> I collect woodworking plans. One of these days I hope to work on some of them. Uh, you know, and hope, hope to bring some of them to fruition there. Uh, now, some of the plans have a very nice feature on them, and what it is is they give their opinion of the uh, level of woodworker that the plan is designed for, either a beginner, intermediate, experienced, or craftsman. And uh, you know, one of the things I realize is this is their opinion. When you get into when you get into the uh, actual project, you sometimes find that your opinion differs from theirs. I'm, I'm a part of, of several different um, online woodworking groups, and they always, it, there's always a comment when somebody posts something that they've made, and they say, do you have plans? And then, you know, that's, that's one of the things, and then some of the responses are always, well, you know, we don't use plans, or, or sometimes they'll post them. Well, I was making something yesterday uh, for Ginny, well, I say it was for Jenny, you know, that's, I kind of wanted it too. But anyway, uh, rearranging some things in the kitchen. And so I kind of sketched up this plan, and I thought, boy, if anybody asked me for plans for this, it would be a mess because it makes sense to me, but it you know, doesn't make sense to a lot of other people. So when they have these plans and they mark them beginner, intermediate, experienced, and craftsman, it's not always... I thought a better way to do it was, you know, it, it should be, you know, if you go through them, that it's probably doable. That would be the beginner. Uh, intermediate would be better pay attention. Craftsman is you should really know what you're doing. Or excuse me, not craftsman, experienced is you better know what you're doing. And, you know, and, and then the, the uh, craftsman would be, well, you know, this is this is really hard. Now, you know, keep this in mind, you know, so I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we had ratings like this for things in life. You know, walking, probably doable. You know, um, sometimes, not always. Driving, you better pay attention. Remodeling your kitchen, you should really know what you're doing. Somebody uh, in our neighborhood is posted, there's this neighborhood thing too, uh, that they're wanting to remodel their, not remodel their kitchen. They want to add an island to their kitchen and wondering, you know, if they want if they want to trench the floor, the slab, to run electricity over to it, and wondering how hard this could be. They said they, got, they I, I can tell already those who know because the heads are going like this. Uh, the, um, you know, they uh, said they got a, a price from an electrician, and the electrician said you really don't want to do this, you know, because of the cost involved. And they thought she said. Was this something my, you know, that my husband and I can do? And I thought, this is hard. Doesn't even begin to explain, you know, what that is. You know, so if you're if you're doing, you know, some remodeling, you should really know what you're doing. And in raising children, this is hard. 
I mean, <laughs> they don't tell you that, you know, and otherwise none of us would have them. Um, as you know, none of them came with instructions, and even if they did, would you read them? Uh, would they apply? You know, I mean, there's such a wide variety. What do you think about it? Now, and um, fortunately, you know, fortunately for me and for our children, uh, Jenny was also involved in the process. You know, when when we had kids, uh, involved in the process of raising them, and that that uh, was a huge help for them. Uh, but it wasn't only us. You know, and we would we would both tell you, but that by the grace of God, we did some things right. And we mean that sincerely. We don't mean that offhandedly. You know, some people will say, you know, by the grace of God, and they don't really mean it. We really mean it when we tell you that. You know, that by the grace of God, we did some things, you know, we did some things well. Uh, a, a lot of prayer certainly have gone into it. And we would also tell you that by the grace of God, our children have uh, all chosen to have a relationship with him in their life and to... You know, to follow, you know, to want to follow him. By the grace of God, they have all married uh, Christian spouses who also want to follow God. And, uh, you know, makes a huge difference uh, because life is hard. Not always, but often. You know, often it is. You know, I want to share with you what God was showing me as I studied our passage for today. Let's pray and we'll get into the passage a little bit. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the reality of life with you, which makes a huge difference. Man, where in the world? There's just no way. There's just no way I want to live life without you. And to see some people, and no wonder there is such stress and and trouble in in the world when when people ignore you we get a lot of what we see going on now and so we don't want to be that what we want to be is your people so guide us as we look into your word teach us that we might know more and more better and better um, what it means to be yours but not just in our head what we want to do is be able to live it more we want to be able to apply it to our lives we want to be able to be yours because we know you and knowing you, Father, makes all the difference in the world. So help us to see that and understand a little bit more as we look into your word this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in First John again, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10. This whole section, you know, First John is kind of difficult to separate to begin with. Uh, so I was glad somebody else went through ahead of me and put, you know, chapter and verse divisions in there so I didn't have to be the guy to kind of make that up as we went along. Uh, but, you know, this, this whole thing is hard to separate, but, you know, we have to do it uh, to be able to get more than a glancing blow. So what we're sharing today really flows from the last several sermons. I mean, this whole thing, and it ties back all the way even to the beginning of the book, the beginning of the letter here. Now, the thought for today, this is hard. You know, I'm going to read all the verses we've been going through, and I've just been doing sections. I'm going to read all the verses we're going to look at first, right up front, and then we'll look at them. So follow along, beginning with verse 10. It says, This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. 
The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, we're going to try and cover all of these today. I first thought we might go a little further, but that ain't going to happen. So, um, you know, loving your brother is what he says. Now, when he says brother here, remember, he's writing this letter to others who have a relationship with Christ. And as he's writing to those who have a relationship to Christ, when he uses this term brother here, he's talking about, so very specifically, about another person with a sincere commitment to Christ, not a counterfeit. Last week, we looked at the fact that, you know, there are counterfeits there. What he's talking here is, you know, that we're to love our brother, you know, that, that that person who has a sincere commitment to Christ. Why? Because this is a response from a life that's transformed by a relationship with Jesus. You see, this is what he's calling us to. We are living from the new life that we have been given in Christ rather than from the old life that he has ransomed us from. We are no longer living from based on that old life. And remember what we touched on it last week. Sin was so pervasive that nothing short of new life is what is needed. That's why it talks. That's why it talks about being born again. That's why it talks about having new life because sin just 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 obliterates and and gets into everything. And it's a new life. So when we come to Christ, He's talking about this new life, and it's living. It's you know living out of this new life we've been given in Christ. Part of that is a, it's a, that part of the response of a transformed life. You know, living, responding more as Jesus would. You know, is part of that is the reality that you know the, the, that we love our brother. Now, remember, our standard is Christ. Earlier in the same chapter you know look at what he said earlier in the same chapter verse 2 we know that when he appears we will be like him there's the example like him because we'll see him as he is he is the example again in verse 3 everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure there's the standard as he is pure not by you know not by the world standards not by your own ideas but by christ himself verse 7 it says little children do let no one deceive you the one who does what is righteous is righteous just as he is righteous there it is there's the standard we're called to now we're called to love our brother to love our brother, to love those, the, uh, you know, the other ones who have a relationship with Christ. Now, it's worded negatively. I mean, when you look at it, it's worded negatively. You know, so it says, you know, who the devil's children are because they don't love. They don't love those with a relationship with Christ. You know, he said, that, you know, those who aren't loving, who aren't loving the others, they're showing you that they don't know Christ. Yeah, so we're called to love and love here. You know, people get into the whole thing and you again, you may or may not know the the different words used for love and the different we talk about love. And, you know, you know, I, 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 I love I love milkshakes, you know, and I also love Ginny. But trust me, there's a huge difference between the two, you know. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's a huge difference there. Yeah, so we just talk about love. You know, they have different words. And this one that he's talking about here, you know, it, it comes from agape, that highest form of love, agapao. You know, here it's, it's to act in the best interest of the other without regard for return. That's the type of love that he's talking about. It's not a reciprocal thing. You know, we love, when we talk about love, you know, we too often talk about this reciprocal thing. Uh, you know, I love them. Why? Well, you know, they, they, you know, because they do this and that and the other thing for me. Um, and if they didn't, 
You see, our love too often is conditional. This is an unconditional love. This is a love that says, I'm going to do what I can for your betterment. Why? Because that's what I'm going to do. It's because God so loved, God so agape the world. He so loved the world. He so, he gave. Now, everybody doesn't, everybody doesn't, doesn't accept. Everybody doesn't, doesn't respond to that love at all. It didn't stop God from doing it. It didn't stop God from loving. This is the kind of love he's talking about here. That love that, that gives without any regard for return. I'm going to have you over to dinner. Why? Not because you're going to invite me over to dinner, but because I want to spend time with you. Because I want to, you know, so that there, you know, there's, there's the difference. With, you know, this is hard. It's hard love. It's hard to love like this. This is what he's called us to. And he says here, those who aren't, those who aren't acting in the best interest of fellow believers, he says they may be showing they have a counter-relationship with Jesus Christ. They may be showing, you know, that they're, that they're of the devil, not of Christ. Now, just so we're not confused, you know, this is not a question of liking every Christian you meet. That is not what it says at all. But it is a question of loving, of living for the benefit of, living for the benefit of, living in the best interest of every Christian you meet. No revenge, no getting even, no, well, I'll show them. I see some of these things going on between husbands and wives. Quit it. Quit it. Don't do that. You know, for pity's sake. How can you... There's no way you can justify living like that towards someone else. What he's talking about... Those are all selfish motives. You know, revenge, getting even, you know, well, I'll show them. Those are selfish motives focused on who? Us. And our feelings. They're focused on, on me. You know, and my hurt feelings. That's not what we're called to. That's no way to live. You know, what I, you know, what do I do? So what do I do if somebody claims to have a relationship with Jesus and yet they wrong me? What do I do? You forgive them. Peter said, above all, maintain an intense love. Intense love. For each other, since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Intensely love one another, he's saying. Intensely love. The word, the word intensely, it means strained, stretched. In other words, go beyond what you think you can do. Beyond what you think you can do. I've been trying to do exercises. I've changed it to just three days a week. I was trying to do them you know, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and it's horrible. So I don't, you know. I decided, well, I need to do something. You know, I need to do something. My my job's not terribly physical anymore. 
the most physical it is is if I have to walk downstairs to see why Kent's not answering the phone for Sarah. That's, you know, other than that, you know, sometimes she says, well, I'll call back. You know, I don't know why he's not answering his cell phone. Well, let me go see if he's dead, you know. So I get up and I have to walk downstairs to see if he's still breathing. And fortunately, up to this point, he has been. You know, if he dies next week, I'm going to really feel bad in more ways than one. But anyway, you know, the, 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 so I thought, well, I need to exercise a little bit. So, um, I borrowed I borrowed a uh, set of DVDs for my daughter because why buy them? She did. I don't have to. And so it's this little workout routine. It's a half hour. And uh, they are wearing me out. You know, they are wearing me out. And with some of it, you know, like, for example, you know, that... One day you, you do push-ups for part of this thing. I had breakfast with a, a guy just, he's, I, I think, five years younger than me. He's in his 60s. And he said, yeah, I'm doing this thing. That, he says, I, I, this year I'm doing this thing where I, I do 100 push-ups, 100 uh, sit-ups, and 100 something else. And I, I can't remember what it was because he lost me at 100 push-ups. I said, a hundred what? How many? It's doing a hundred push-ups. I said, I think I could do 17. <laughs> yeah, he says, that's average for our age. Well, you know, average isn't bad, is it? Average isn't bad sometimes. But I'm doing these, so I'm, I'm doing these push-ups, you know, with this, uh, you know, on this tape. I do one now, but then it, you'd have to come up and help me. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I try to do just a little bit more, you know, and straining, you know, and, and pushing. That's this word. That's, that's this word here. You know, what he's talking about, you, you know, that you intensely love. You stretch, you strain, you do a little bit more than you think you can do. This is why it says here to maintain an intense love. Why? Keep working on it. Keep working at it. Keep an intentionality on it. You have to want, you not, not have to want to do it. Sometimes you don't. You have to, you, you have to continue to do it. You have to do it on purpose. And keep checking to make sure you're living this way. Keep checking to make sure, am I intensely loving? He says, why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You don't need to continually bring it up. You don't need to bring it up over and over again. In fact, in fact, you know, you say, well, I'm just trying to help them be better. You know what? If, if they have repented and confessed them to God, you don't ever have to bring it up again. Ever. He says, be hospitable. The word means loving strangers, you know, expressing this, this, this love to strangers here, loving hospitality. Some of you are really good at this, and I appreciate it. I, you know, some of you are, are really good at this. But here's the thing. Look, look at the verse. We're all called to be hospitable. Well, that's just not me. Good, let it be Christ in you. I'm not a very hospitable person. 
So you stated the problem. Now, you know, take it to Christ and, and be what he's called us to be. I can't spend a lot of time on this. You know, so, you know, here's, here's the, the, the challenge. You know, love others, work for their best interest without complaining. This is hard. Well, what if they wrong me repeatedly? Forgive them. Well, some of you know where we're going with this. You know, Matthew 18. Then uh, Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times could, I, could my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? I, 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 I like that. You know, how, many, how many times? You know, let's put a limit on this, Jesus. As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Now, he doesn't mean 490 because, you see, if you're keeping track of how many times, then you really aren't forgiving. All you're doing then is going through the motions of forgiveness. And that's not what he's called us to here. You know, Peter thought seven times was generous. Jesus tells him only seven times is a pathetic attempt to feign forgiveness. Seven times. How pathetic. See, that's why Jesus is better at this than me. Uh, you know, how pathetic, Peter. But 70 times seven. What it means is as many times as it takes, you know, that's how many times you forgive. Forgive every time you're given the opportunity to forgive. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean enabling someone to sin. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is when somebody sins and, you know, and they come and they sincerely want forgiveness. Now, you know, 70 times 7, you know, again, we think, well, what's wrong with this person? Well, you know, see, here's the deal. You know, we're told to forgive every time we have the opportunity to forgive. Every time we have that opportunity. You don't do it. You don't make it easier for someone to sin. You know, you don't do that. And don't use that as an excuse not to forgive. You know, because he's told us and he's called us here, you know, very clearly to forgive. What this does mean for us, you know, is we don't hold a grudge. We never get even. We never stop loving. Never stop acting for their benefit. And this is hard. Well, what if they wronged me on purpose? Forgive them. Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by their mercy uh, shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. This, he was answering a question about, you know, what about the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, because they don't like each other. Uh, you know, possibly you remember some of Jesus' words or his, his disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, and he goes into this prayer and part of the words are, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Is that how you want to be forgiven? Think about this. Is that how you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be forgiven in the same way that you forgive others? That's what the prayer says. Do you want God to hold a grudge against you like you do against some other people? Do you want God to give you the silent treatment like you do to other people? Do you want God to, to show you, well, you know, well, I'll show him. Do you want God to flaunt it in front of you? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see, we, we, we undersell forgiveness. Perhaps you, perhaps you picked up the pattern here. Uh, forgive them. Forgive them. And this is hard. It's hard. 
Forgiveness is certainly part of loving your brother, meaning anyone who has a real relationship with Christ. You know, forgiveness is certainly a part of that. And it's not only we give forgiveness. Remember, too, you also are a receiver of forgiveness from other Christians, from other believers. But he says here the need to love one another. He says it's from the beginning, you know, to, to do the best for your fellow believer. It's consistent with the message from the beginning. In Leviticus, it says, do not take revenge. There's a thought. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge. Hmm. Well, took away a couple of those things for us, didn't he? Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am Yahweh. Why? Because I am God. Love them. Why? Because they're lovable? No, because I'm God. Love them. Why? Because they, they've been nice to me? No, because I'm God. You'll recall when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? You know, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the, the importance here, you know, we naturally put ourselves first, you know, particularly in our thinking. When we hear something, we get a, bad, a, a bit of news, we begin to process it through its effect on us. You know, what does this require of me, of my time, of my resources? Am I going to have to change my schedule? And we begin to thinking like that. We should, you know, we should begin to think what this means for our fellow Christians. How can I help them adjust to what this means in their life? How can I help them stay close to Christ through all this? How can I help them know the love of God through this time that is just straining them to the max? Jesus also made it clear that love should be a distinguishing character of those who have a relationship with him. In John chapter 13, he says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, this, here's this distinguishing characteristic that should be there among my people. This distinguishing characteristic should be there for all of these people who say they have a relationship with me. And, you know... The standard we're shooting for there is, you know, to love specifically the way Jesus loved, just as I have loved you. This is the standard he's called us to. The standard we're striving for is Jesus, specifically the way Jesus loved. Jesus lived for the best interest of others. John chapter 15 says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Did you notice it again? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. He loved us at the cost of his own life. He loved us at the cost of his own emotional comfort. You'll remember, you know, when he, when he's in the garden and he's praying, it says that he goes and he falls down, you know, and, and he prays and he says, and he says, Abba, Father, Father, please take this cup from me. You know, he, he's, he's, there's, you want to see an emotional struggle. There it is. I can't face what's coming. Please take this from me. Now he goes on, he says, you know, not my will, but yours. 
He put us before his own emotional comfort. He put us before his own physical comfort. The Roman soldiers, it says, struck him repeatedly with their fists. They forced a crown of thorns on his head. After they forced that thorn of crowns on his head, it says they took the staff from him and they struck him repeatedly with that staff. They scourged him with a whip that's designed to tear the flesh all the way down to the bone. You know, they forced him to carry the cross, which proved to be too much for him in his weakened condition. And he couldn't even carry it. They, they, they nailed him. His, his wrists, his feet to that cross and then they stood it up and they left him there to suffocate to death he loved us at the cost of his own physical comfort he loved us at the cost of his own spiritual comfort as he hung on that cross as he hung on that cross it says that he cried out Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani my God my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken by God, cut off from God, I think that is the worst suffering of hell right there. Cut off from God, cut off from all that is good. He loved us at the cost of his own spiritual comfort. God sums it up nicely in Hebrews. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, if I were editing, you know, if I were editing this, you know, I, I would add, you bunch of whiners. Just a, just a thought for you there. You see, it's in yellow. It's not in the Bible. Just need to know that. There's our standard, though. There's our standard of how we're to love one another, the way and to the degree that Jesus loved us. You know, John pulls the example all the way back to Cain, he says, who killed his brother Abel. Instead of acting in his brother's best interest, he killed him. Why? Cain acted selfishly. He acted selfishly here. But even more, his actions showed he did not have a relationship with God, but was lawless. Lawless, the thing we looked at last week, lawless, you know, that he was acting, he, Cain was resentful of and rebelling against God's moral authority in his life. Lawless. Resenting, resenting the fact that God has any moral authority. And Cain's works, you know, were evil because his heart was evil. In verse 13, you know, John is passing on uh, what Jesus told him a few hours before his arrest and crucifixion uh you know jesus told him not to be surprised that the world hates us for following him he said this is my command love each other if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first if you belonged to the world it would love you as its own as it is you do not belong to the world but i have chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you too many of God's people, too many of God's people want to be accepted by the world. Too many want to be accepted by the world. You know, there's a tremendous pressure to fit into society's norms. There's a tremendous pressure to endorse their standards. 
You know, a huge issue, you know, is the world's opposition to God. Society is not neutral. You need to understand that. It is not neutral. Uh, John told about the opposition in his gospel. In in John chapter 3, after he's talking with Nicodemus, he says, This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Now, if you have the Holman Christian Standard, there's a, there's a footnote there, you know, that he hates the light and avoids it, meaning literally he does not come into the light. He does not want to come into the light. You see, the, the, the world, when I'm saying the world, I mean those without a relationship with Jesus. You know, the the standards of morality can be appropriately based on, when you take Jesus out, you know, the the standards of society can be uh, appropriately based on education to correct ignorance, you know, or, you know, in some sense of social fairness. But not, it can't be, you see, society then, rejecting God, then society cannot base their, their, uh, you know, any of their morals on existence of a holy God who's entitled to define right and wrong, and expect us to live by them. That's not how it is when they reject God. You know, we see this at work in our, in our society today with the critical race theory, views on global warming, the fluid nature of sexual identities. All of those are because you reject God and you put up your own standards. When God's made them clear, we just saw once again our standards come, by, come from God. You know, don't be surprised that when you live by God's standards, some people will be offended. Now, don't use that as an excuse to offend. You don't need to flaunt it in their face, and you certainly should not be putting others down. You know, instead, we work to lift Christ up and their need for a relationship with him. Society was a very vile, sinful, at a very vile and sinful level when Jesus walked this earth, you know. It's not that things have gotten, we say, well, things have gotten worse than when Jesus said, no. Society was at a very low sinful level when Jesus came. There were a lot of vile things going on. You think the crucifixion, which was a method, which was a common method for them to torture someone to death under governmental permission, you think that was a civilized way in which to behave? Society was already at a low level when he came. Follow Jesus' example as you live in this society. And again, this is hard. Our standard is high. But a proof of new life in Christ is the fact that we love those who have a relationship with Christ. That's what he says here. A proof, that we, a, a, a proof of new life is that we love those who have a relationship with Christ. Our actions toward them and our actions about them are for their good. Even if they don't say thank you. Even if they don't notice. Because we're not doing it so they say thank you. We're not doing it so that they notice. We're doing it because God has transformed our life and our heart. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. You see, because the person who lives in Christ is characterized by love, not resentment, an active love, you know, intentional actions for their benefit. 
The transformation, you know, of someone's attitude toward God and his people marks those who have passed from death to life. That's what he's saying. We know we've passed from death to life. Why? Because our attitude toward God has changed. Our attitude towards people marks the fact that we have passed from death to life. Death here, death here is, is not a future event. What he's talking about here, you know, is the death that, that, that came as a result of the fall back in the garden. A very present separation from God. That's what he's talking about here. Now, this is, this love, it's an expression of our salvation. It's not the cause of it. Loving others does not bring us salvation. Loving others comes from the salvation. One of the things I've really enjoyed this year, um, I told you before that, you know, that I got, uh, you know, Jenny the same devotional and we're going through the same devotional. I told you I got one for Kent and Kent got one for Sarah. So Jenny and Sarah and I are all doing this devotional together this year. Uh, and we, we exchange text back and forth on it. This morning, uh, part of what is said in there, uh, you know, is that it, it was talking about, you know, we want to know the heart of Christ, not just his recipes. We want to know the heart of Christ. Not just his recipes. Not just the way to do things. We want to know him. And when we know him, we are transformed and our heart is transformed. And the way we love or the lack of that love, you know, for others with a relationship with Christ, it shows if our relationship is real or counterfeit, connected to the verses we looked at last week, just before these, real or counterfeit. Again, look at in verse 15, you know, John passes on what he heard directly from Jesus is, John walked with Jesus, he walked with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, it says, You heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, be subject to the Sanhedrin. He's telling him where this all comes from. Matthew chapter 15, he says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder. Sexual immorality, adultery, theft, false witness. Hate is equal to murder, is what he says. Hate is equal to murder. When you find hatred creeping in, fight against it. Don't give in to it. Fight against it. Bring it to God and confess it. You know, repent of it. Admit that it's wrong. Admit that it's not what God wants. First John, you know, one night, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I told you, it's hard to separate any of this from what, uh, all that he's written. And this is part of what he's written. Ask him to take this away. Ask him to take that hatred away. Ask him to change your heart toward the other person. And then you change your behavior. You can't change your heart, but you can change your behavior. And you know, one of the things I have found, and one of the things I have, I have counseled people with before, and, and I believe it's true, and I've seen it in my own life, and I believe it's biblical. Right actions bring right feelings. Right actions bring right feelings. If you wait for the feelings, you got it backwards. But you begin to obey God and love others as he told you. Begin acting for their best. Acting for their benefit. I remember there was somebody who just was uh, just flat out rude would be an understatement. Um, Antagonistic. 
uh, toward me and stuff and just made it real hard to have a good relationship. And I started praying for this person. And I started doing what I could to um, certainly not retaliate in any way. And and then I remember, um, and, and I was even kind of thinking, you know, as I was praying consistently for them and sincerely, and thinking, you know, kind of wonder if anything's changing. And then one day, this person had a heart attack. And I remember, as soon as I heard, I was grieved. And I just realized, Lord, thank you for changing my heart. Right actions bring right feelings. But again, remember, we're not looking for, we're not looking for Jesus' recipes. We're looking for his heart. You know, we're looking for, for to, to do what he's called us to do, to be the people he's called us to be. And this is hard. Now, I don't want you to leave simply thinking that, you know, it's, it's hard to live life. It's hard to live like I have a relationship with Christ. But I do want you to realize it's hard. It is unnatural for us. You know, we are naturally drawn to live in a self-pleasing manner. We're naturally drawn to live by our own standards. You know, it's hard to consistently live in a manner that pleases God, particularly when I have to include in that my relationship with others. You know, and, and, and you know, and when I have to include knuckleheads in this, you know, that, that, that I still have to do it. But, you know, hard does not mean impossible. Know that. Know that hard does not mean impossible. When we realize, when we realize that it's hard, then, then let that direct you back into a greater dependence upon God and His strength. Don't lower your standards to those of society. Don't think that it doesn't matter. You know, don't give up and walk away. In our own strength, it is hard. In our own strength, it's impossible. But we don't have to depend on our own strength alone. When we walk together with Christ, He's going to guide us and strengthen us to do and to do all He has called us to do and to be the people He has called us to be. This is hard, but you are not alone. And when I say to you, By the grace of God, you can be what he's called you to be. Realize, I am not just saying that. It's true. And it's the reality of what we need to depend on. The grace of God. This is hard. But you're not alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not alone. Thank you that you do not ask the impossible of us and then sit back and watch as we try to fumble through it in our own strength. But by your grace, you transform us into the people you want us to be. And Father, it's, it's, been, it's been very true and I've seen it that I need, to, I need to do what you've called me to do even though I may not feel like it. Because you are God. Because you are Yahweh, I need to love my brother. I need to love my neighbor as myself. Because you are God and because I am yours. And I thank you that you have used some of those actions to transform my heart. I pray you continue to do it. There's still a lot that needs going on. There's still a lot of things that I need to 
to get right before you, but Father, by your grace and depending on your grace. Thank you that we're not alone. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.